0: Welcome to Woman Power Zone. In today's episode, we talk with Kim here about her amazing journey from being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis to winning a European Masters Weightlifting Championship. Stay with us. Welcome to Woman Power Zone, a safe space for learning, growing, healing, and empowerment. Kim here is is a health coach, and she is going to teach us About her, not only her experience of recovering from an MS diagnosis and becoming a weightlifting champion in Europe. It's incredible, but also challenging our assumptions about what muscle is, what looking good is, and what weight loss is, and how to
1: take care of ourselves. Welcome, Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you and looking forward to having a great chat.
0: Me too. I love your story of resilience. You were a journalist, you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 10 years ago, and this year you won a European master's weightlifting
1: championship. Wow. How did you do that?
0: I'd love to hear your story.
1: Yeah. I sometimes wonder myself, (laughs) when you live in the moment, you you tend to forget where, you know, where you've been before. Um, My uh, journey started just Um, a few years before that MS diagnosis actually um, I was in Berlin with my three kids we'd been traveling all the time for the first time in a long time I had um, a steady job full employment as a journalist I had been dabbling as a freelancer for years following my husband around and there I was full-time job great career three kids and I thought yes I've made it I have proven to the world that you can have both. You know, you, As a woman, you don't have to choose between a family and a career. And I thought that was fantastic. Um, I didn't pay much attention to like symptoms of being stressed and tired and frustrated sometimes because it was hard, it was shift work and then looking after the kids. Um, I brushed all, over all of that and then um, literally from one day to the next, I was struck down. By the oh. first episode of an autoimmune disease, where I started seeing double, they told me to go to the hospital. Yeah, it, it, that is so scary. Oh yeah, um, it's it was because my immune system was attacking the nerve that was controlling the muscle that you know keeps the eye in place. So I, my eyes were wandering all over the place. Um, And then I was admitted to hospital all, you know, a battery of tests. You are in the neurological department where they have tons and tons and tons of tests, but very little uh, therapies. You know, they're trying to find what you what you've got and they don't really know. And while I was in hospital, very progressively, but, you know, notably my legs uh, started to lose sensitivity. After two weeks, I couldn't move them. I was like paralyzed from the hip down. Wow. And... I have to say this now because that comes with hindsight in the moment you're scared. Um, You don't know what's happening. You don't know if you're ever going to be able to walk again. But right now, I'm grateful that happened because it puts so many things in perspective. You wouldn't believe how much stuff I just don't care about anymore. I know it's not important, you know, being late somewhere or your kid having a bad grade or whatever it is. Um, that time in my life it was dark it was scary and it's like really unpleasant when you can't walk people have to carry you to the toilet like literally but now thinking back it has taught me so much and has improved like my mental health with hindsight because I really I really know now what's important and what's not important Um, and I think that's something I'll always be grateful for. So I stayed in the hospital until just one day before Christmas. Got home, I started walking again over the months to come. It was all sensitive, my nerve damage. So it wasn't that my uh, that I, I just couldn't move were because I second. didn't. You're you it was yeah, your I, nerves. Uh, yeah. Yes. But I, did, I didn't, you know, you don't get the feedback from your sensory nerves, you can't stand anyways, because you don't know, you know, your brain doesn't know where your body is. But that came back, like, uh, progressively, I did have to get um, transfusions once a month, did that for two years, um, until the doctor told me that he thought I didn't need them anymore. Wow, I was given a second life that day. He said, We can, you know, you're so stable. You're looking so good. I think we can just stop doing the transfusions. And I was like crying, calling my husband, telling him that, you know, I didn't need that anymore. New life. That was great. Wow. It lasted for a year. It lasted for a year. We moved again. We were in Paris. And in that winter, I started getting like t- t- tingling and numbness in my left hand. New battery of tests. And then this one was like the first episode of um ms i mean when it's the first time they don't declare it ms because they have this protocol where it's only ms if you have it twice and then from then on you're in the box you're an ms patient so i spent an entire year hoping that it wouldn't come back and then one day i felt oh. that it was back again i did a weird yoga pose and there was tingling in my spine that wasn't normal it was a tiny tiny relapse it wasn't big we just nipped it in the bud but I was in the box. This is an MS patient, and you will need lifelong treatment. They told me. Followed so oh, yeah. my doctor for an hour, for an hour, because I didn't want lifelong treatment. You know, it's you cannot get out of this. You you don't even know. You know, even if you're doing fine, you don't have a relapse. You have, will never find out if it's because you're better or because of the treatment. So you never dare stop it. Wow, and that was you know that was the thinking at the time. Mm-hmm. And I fought. I fought with my doctor. After an hour, I felt him getting a little bit impatient, but, because I think he was used to people sort of questioning him like that. Is, <laughs> is it really necessary? And he was like, <clears throat> <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, "I mean, he was, you know, doing fine, but after an hour, he was he was getting a little bit annoyed." So I said, "Okay, I gave in. I started uh, treatment. You, know, you have to inject yourself three times a week, and it's um, every people, everyone um, reacts differently." But uh, I had flu-like symptoms. So I inject myself and then I get this, you know, this heaviness that you feel in the body when you're about to get the flu and, and uh-huh. headaches and tiredness. Um, and I was so, I, I so wanted a normal life that I just took ibuprofen. Every day I injected myself, I took an wow. ibuprofen and then I lived normally. I, I just couldn't care less. Um, I was not going to be that, you know, person dragging herself along. And then when I started the treatment, I asked the doctor, and that was a very important moment. I said, how about exercise? Because I had enjoyed going to the gym, um, like, you know, normally, nothing particularly mm-hmm. ambitious, but staying staying in shape. And then he mm-hmm. said, yeah, okay, you can exercise, but you want to be, like, really very, very careful. Um yeah, that's and not that's I'm pretty, sure.
0: That's standard, right? That's standard. I think that was like what the standard recommendations were 10 years ago.
1: People were yes. like,
0: be careful, you, you know, so you don't but, hurt yourself or fall or something like that, right?
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. what does it even mean? What does careful mean? That's true, right? I mean, everybody wants to be careful when they exercise. You don't want to hurt yourself, <laughs> you know, uh, diagnosis or no diagnosis. And I had a chat with the nurse um, because that's also. Uh, that was also an experience, you know, you're well sort of welcomed into the community, which of, of MS patients. And it's, it's great that there's a community, but it made me feel, you know, I'm getting this label, I'm getting put into this box. I don't really, I don't really feel like going there, but the nurse said one thing that that was very encouraging. She said, exercise is great in MS because MS comes with a lot of fatigue and exercise makes your body fatigue resistant. Ah. There's my, <laughs> there's my get out of jail free card. I'm back, I'm back in the gym right now. And I started training. Um, I worked with a book that I bought, which I loved, and I think it was called Lift Like a Man, Look Like a Goddess. It was a crazy book, but it was fantastic, had wonderful workouts. And I started getting stronger. And I mean, I still have my left hand is still numb from the first. Episode, but uh, I got better and better. Hey,
0: everybody, if you're loving this show and you want to make a difference, please go to Apple Podcast Ratings and give the show a five star rating. Thanks so much. It's appreciated.
1: I remember when I went to the hospital years before. You know, my reflexes had gone. The one when they hit you, hit the front of the knee and the leg shoots up—that was gone. And the doc at the time said, "That's never going to come back." Oh, yeah. Thank you, doc. And no, it came back with a vengeance. It's there. It's everything came back, and I was wow. getting so fit that um, I really got didn't have the mindset of a of a sick person. I you can call it denial, but I just you know I just wanted to live my life. Of course you stay attentive thinking you know are there any signs of another relapse but over time you you know especially when you feel strong and yeah. you carry yourself with with ease and confidence um you worry less and and you become more positive
0: and that's also because exercise boosts um it boosts your confidence it elevates your mood right it changes your biochemistry all of those
1: things are a result
0: of exercise <laughs>
1: yes they are yeah so then we moved again and I found a new doctor here in Spain and he's sort of at the top of his game when it comes to MS and after three years of seeing me you know without any symptom whatsoever you know all the scans came back negative and it was always everything was fine he said how do you feel about going without the treatment for a while do you want to try if you want to try I'm going to support you if you don't I'm gonna support you too, and I said, "Hell yeah! Of course, I want to try." <laughs> I felt so confident. It's so good. Wow. So, yeah, and that was quite that was quite spectacular because the uh, the consensus at the time I don't know about now because six years ago I've been without any symptom for six years. At the time, the consensus was still, you know, that you should not stop the treatment and that you you know should be very conservative just in case you know some relapse leaves you with permanent damage. But what this doc knew at the time, and that's, you know, he was at the top of his game, went to conventions and always knew everything that was going on. And he said, we are now having doubts if this treatment is effective at all. Do you mind if I ask what the treatment was? Do you mind if I ask like what? Yeah. Yeah. It's interferon beta.
0: Okay. I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting. Interesting. Okay. So they were at the time they were questioning if that even worked at all.
1: Okay. Yes, and he said, if ever you do want need treatment again, we're going to do something else, something totally different. Wow. ways. Okay.
0: So he was progressive, and you were advocating for yourself. I mean, absolutely. That's, that that's important, and I, I've talked with a lot of uh, clients over the years, and my experience is that people have to advocate with doctors, and they do have to question assumptions. I was talking with someone the other day. And she's like, well, why? And I told her to challenge the doctor's assumptions. And she goes, well, why would I do that? I go, because you need to advocate for yourself because they're not there to advocate for you. And it's not a criticism of doctors. They only have, at least in the U.S., an average of 10 to 19 minutes of time with a patient. That's it. Like the fact that that doctor sat with you for an hour, that was like that. They don't do that in the U.S. (laughs) so so people have to advocate for themselves because the doctors can't always make a, a decision based on like a thoughtful length of time. They make these snap decisions based on judgments or guesses based on a majority of people. So I think it's fantastic that he was progressive and open minded. So then what happened?
1: Well, then I kept training and lifting. Um, I did some fun stuff that I had never dared before I actually at that time already felt like better and stronger than ever before in my life so I had made some new friends here in Spain in the gym and we went like obstacle and mud racing and things that I mean I was I was in my 50s and I would never have done that in my 30s I would probably not have dared and then I was all of a sudden I was you know crawling through the mud and having a hell of a time and then by by i can only recommend this it's just you know it will make you feel it's so exhilarating so they do that they do that in spade too they do the mud crawling they 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 have those those
0: uh, competitions in the u.s also (laughs) The
1: yeah (laughs) yeah obstacle race courses yeah and they are so much fun you know you do them as a team you help each other over the walls and stuff and and it's not dangerous. You you can't really harm yourself. Of course, you have to prepare, but it's. I think it's re- it's really great stuff because it's something that the way I was raised, you know, was not really something that a girl would do. And then all of a sudden, you have all these women, and even my, my age, doing doing just stuff that's fun and 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 challenging and makes you feel so good afterwards. And then. I was working with a personal trainer trying to get stronger and stronger and then he said how about you try some Olympic weightlifting Um, because he had Uh training in that and I remember seeing Olympic weightlifting as a kid with my dad only when the Olympic games were on TV and I I had like a memory of what that was and then I tried it and um, I was hooked right away because it's it's a mix of technique and strength um, and it's explosive which is the biggest challenge when you're not 20 anymore you know like explosive movements it's also something that I now shock from the rooftops whenever I can this sort of common wisdom when you're older you know don't do dynamic stuff don't do explosive movements go to do your yoga class and and you know hold yourself quietly in the corner don't do (laughs) explosive stuff (laughs) now here's my question you know what's one of the leading um causes of accidental death i
0: was thinking car accidents but maybe something else
1: tripping and falling yeah i mean maybe car accidents are one uh, one above but falls are right up there Right up yes. The, yes, Like when you're 60 or 70 and you have a fall, you have like a, a, a 50% of, of chance of dying the next year. And are falls like gentle, slow movements? No. I don't think so. <laughs> they're, they're bloody e- explosive as hell. So, you know, you, you, you want to try and keep practicing this kind of movement with your body so it knows how to react because that's the thing. It, you know, it knows instinctively how to react when when it's moving in, in you know, weird uh, positions or trajectories in space. And you cannot consciously react. You have to train your brain and body to do that automatically. Um, and you, you can know, do to, that. You to, can do that with to, exercise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you don't want to be too conservative. Yes, you always have to watch out for not getting hurt. And we're um, probably going to talk about this um but you um, you really um, want to do stuff that challenges you and that helps you in everyday life with all, all kinds of situations. Something that's functional and you know that makes your body apt at reacting to you know stuff that's thrown at it in the course of a life.
0: That's a very good point. And so even though I I do want to find out about your championship, let's talk about that in a minute. I wanted to ask you how is muscle related to overall health, metabolic health, bone health, and even mental health. Because it I mean what you just said is like you're preparing your body to make sure that if you you trip that you don't hurt yourself. I totally agree with that. But how is it related to overall health? That's something
1: um I have my own experience with that. I'm convinced that becoming muscular saved my life or my you know helped helped me to get out of this illness. And I see it when I work with clients. Everything gets better in their life when they get stronger. And science has been catching up like like really quickly over the last years. We know now that um, muscle mass and muscular health is responsible for metabolic health, like blood sugar management, you know, Mm -hmm. with diabetes, like Mm -hmm. uh, really like an epidemic now. The more muscle you have easier it is for your body to to get rid of glucose in, in the bloodstream because mm-hmm. it stocks wow. the, the body stores sugar into organs in the liver and in the muscles so you have enough muscle uh, you know then the body knows just where to leave all that sugar it doesn't have to uh, struggle with um, too much sugar in the bloodstream um, functional independence this is something that is, is so tied to uh, longevity and functional independence is a nice word for just being able to live everyday lives. They have found decades ago that grip strength, for example, was an indicator of longevity. Wow, why is that? I think it's because when you have this kind of functional strength to live an independent life, your life will be more fun more fulfilling you'll be able to have relationships and you know socialize it makes it it raises your quality of life when you can do things when you can get out of a of a chair without mm-hmm. uh, without pain when you when you can get, get you know down and back up from the floor um, it, it will improve the quality of life and and i think that's the reason also why it why it improves longevity i mean joint health it's clear, you know, when you train, you lubricate the joints and and you know, they ache less, but you also put less load on the joints themselves because you have the muscles to, you know, to carry the weight. And then the one that I love and that I have experienced over and over again, myself and with my clients, and this there's a solid body of evidence in our research strength training improves mental health. The fun thing is, they don't know what the mechanism is they're Oh, that's... looking for the mechanism. And I, I suspect they're looking for the mechanism because when they find the mechanism, they can invent a drug that does the same, has the same effect oh, sure. for the time being. I mean, my, my, guess
0: to... my guess is dopamine and maybe anonymide release. Um, a lot of people don't talk about anandamide, but that's a bliss hormone. Ananda means bliss in Sanskrit. And I know because I also do, I do weight training. Not the at the level that you're doing it. I'm doing a different type, but I'm still doing it. And I notice all the people in the class, because we have a lot of people that are over 60 in this class. I'm like one of the younger people in the class. And people are positive, they're upbeat. And I just notice I notice the attitude of all the people in the class and myself. Um, it's totally different if I weightlift consistently versus when I don't. Because during COVID, this is so interesting. During COVID. For a while, I didn't do that because the class was canceled. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I got to keep this going. And what I did was um, I volunteer taught the group of women that I was in the class with. I taught them workouts and I thought it'd be three weeks, you know, to fill in. It ended up being three times a week for 18 months. It was crazy because I had a Zoom account. I had yoga teacher training experience. And I had like 35 years of dance experience. So I'm like, well, I can do something. And so we used hand weights. And then what the women said was that the the classes that we did together kept them feeling like life was normal. So it was a mental health thing for sure. Like it made them feel like there's something normal in my life. And they said it really helped them get through COVID. So, I mean, we've had experience with this. You have, your clients have- So it's a thing. And even um, for depression, for assisting with staving off depression or minimizing the effects of depression, it's really important. I totally agree with you about that.
1: It is a bit tricky because uh, someone with depression, the last thing they want to hear is you tell them, just go out and move, you know, you're going to be fine. So it's something that we have to deal with. in they don't want to hear that. (laughs) You know, in, in a more... I don't know, compassionate or empathetic way to, to 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 make those people benefit from from strength training, you know, not just throwing it at throwing it at them and thinking, yeah, you know, if you don't do it, then it's your own fault. There must be ways and means to sort of make that accessible and easy. It's also something that I find extremely important that the level at which you start strength training must be the level you are at. That's the problem also for so many women when they want to start moving, they go to YouTube and there's great stuff out there. Fantastic protocols for strength training, for getting strong and building muscle and everything. But it's just not, most of it is not for midlife women or for women who have done um, exercise like for years or decades. It's, it's when you try using a protocol that's not made for you um, that you could get hurt.
0: And that was the question I had is how do women build muscle without getting hurt? And basically it sounds like they need a protocol that's built for them and where they're at. Right. Yes.
1: Yes. And that's also something, it's not necessarily the fact of being a woman or, or because the way muscle is stimulated reacts and grows is the same, is exactly the same in men and women. But the story we have to look at is how long have you been inactive? How long have you been sedentary? Um, How are your, joints feeling, um, how strong are you right now? And then there's one crucial point that many people forget is there is the effectiveness of a muscle contraction is due at least at 50% to the effectiveness of the connection between the brain and the muscle. It's right. electric signaling that has to be very effective for you to be able to contract the muscle. Actually, when you work a muscle until, fa- until failure, it's mostly not the muscle fiber itself that fails. It's the connection. that's the central nervous system that gets ineffective at sending this message. So what happens when you haven't trained, say, for years or even decades, which is the case for some women, the brain is like a ruthless pragmatist. Any sort of process, any messaging that it does costs energy. And the brain wants to save energy at all costs because it's, you know, hellbent on survival so when there's something like the connection between it's my favorite example between your brain and your glutes your butt muscles and you have been sitting on your butt and not contracting them for (laughs) decades right the the brain will say hey come on i'm not using this um we're not needing this quite obviously so let's just shut that connection down i mean like put it offline you can always put it online again but you have to go through a kind of reconnection and activation process to make sure that your muscles actually know you, you know you can actually fire those muscles because if if the connection is disturbed or not very functional or your muscles are offline and then you go to a class or you follow a, a video on youtube you will try to mimic the movement that you see but your you know brain muscle connection will not allow for you that to execute that movement properly and that's when you get hurt. So you really need to uh-huh. go back to square one, reconnect everything, make and you know, muscle muscle mind connection. It's uh it sounds like a woo-woo concept, but it's actually it's, not. it's no it's really it's Science. Yes.
0: That's really a good point. And and that's and that's basically answering that question well, why is it when I try to exercise, things aren't working right, or I can't follow along with what people are doing, or I can't do it the way they're doing on the video, because the neuromuscular connection isn't um, facilitated adequately, and the muscles aren't firing correctly. So just a question about that. Do you you take your clients through a protocol to get their muscles switched back on again, so that they, they can then do the the work the exercises and the performance
1: yeah absolutely we always start with a with a one-on-one session over zoom and i look at how they're moving where they're at and you know you just need to look at a few movements to know where they're um, at that point in time and then we start with a very gentle activation takes something you know sometimes 10 to 15 minutes a day is all that that is and um, after two three weeks depending on where they're coming from then they can move on to to stronger stuff um, and i've just now had a client who's done a f- super gentle activation um for three days telling me i feel stronger already because you know the awareness this what we you know kinetic awareness the connection between the brain and the muscle is coming back and makes you feel like you know you actually have strength and you can use that body that you were given.
0: That's fantastic. It's interesting because when I do massage work, when I feel like muscles are not switching on, I'll use PNF and um, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation to get those muscles to reactivate. And I'm guessing you might be doing something like that. I'm, I don't know, actually, are you, are you using PNF when you're working with your people or are you doing something else?
1: Yes, sometimes it, depending on you know where they're coming on from and where they're at, yes, you can absolutely do that and have them um, you know, have this try this contraction and release um, and get into the the muscle and and work it um, with these. Sometimes I do just dynamic stretches before I go into the deeper work to just sort of get them moving just a little bit very gently and then move on further. Wow. I love it. That's so
0: fascinating. Okay. So we are going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Kim about resilience because obviously you had to have continued out of your, uh, or through your journey with MS. And then you must've kept working out and kept forward on your journey to become, become a, you know, weightlifting champion. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about resilience. <laughs> Go to www.arielhubbard.com. That's www.arielhubbard.com. And if you're on Clubhouse, you can find Ariel Hubbard by looking up Ariel Hubbard. A-R-I-E-L-H-U-B-B-A-R-D. And we are back. Kim, thank you so much for being with us and talking about the power of muscle and we've talked about reactivating the uh, neurological connection between the brain and muscle tissue and helping people get their bodies reactivated so then they then they can start engaging in an exercise program or mission <laughs> without hurting themselves but i want to talk with you about resilience because um you've obviously demonstrated that and really quickly would you just finish your story real quick and we were about 6 years out from your diagnosis and then how did you become a champion how did that happen i'd love to hear that story real quick
1: yes so i joined a weightlifting gym when i had trained with my pt in a commercial gym trying to do olympic weightlifting which you cannot do in, in a commercial gym because in olympic weightlifting what you do is you lift the weight overhead and then you drop it because that you know that's all the effort you make you're not going to sort of lower it very and you can't drop the weights in a commercial gym. So it was like kind of a half-assed way of doing weightlifting in a commercial gym and I got so hooked that I wanted to do it for real. So I joined a pure weightlifting gym, no mirrors, no music, you know, no sauna. It's like a really raw and and I I loved it from day one because um, there's a, a team spirit there um, everybody training the same thing. The coaches there every day and looking at what you're doing every day. And very soon they asked me if I wanted to compete. And I said, what? You know wow. how old I am? <laughs> and they said, so what? We have people competing. And I said, yeah, why not? And then I started getting hooked and sort of drawn into that. And I checked what people my age were lifting on an international level. And then like six you? months how, later- how,
0: how old were you? I gotta ask, sorry, but really- how old were you? Good How time. old I was? Well, uh, 55. Fantastic! It's awesome. I'm fifty-five. So, and and we had yeah, a. you can with, start. Yep we we had a, We had a guest on here recently. She's sixty, and she's a leader of a lead singer of a heavy metal band, and she sang at a festival in Germany a few years ago. So, yeah,
1: at fifty-five, you did it. Okay, so you started. You said yes. I'm going to compete, right? I did, and then I. Six months later, I was at the first, my first European championship, went to Finland for that, which was absolutely fantastic, wow. um, because I ha- I ha- I had the minimum requirement, and I won a bronze at that time, and I've been to every European championship since, always won a medal, but this year, I went to Ireland, and I won the gold, and it was just absolutely fantastic.
0: Congratulations. That's amazing. Okay, so I think I could ask you, what is resilience then? <laughs> I'd say you've demonstrated
1: that. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm I'm totally fascinated by these subjects because, um, and it's, it's the same, weight loss, resilience, willpower, self-control, all these things. We tend to have um, sort of a, a judgmental uh, cloud around those. We think it's something that, you know, when you have it, it means you're a very virtuous person. Um, it's it's a part of your character. It's a personality trait. It's, for some people, they think, oh, it's just something that you're born with. Um, and I, when I talk to women, I hear this all the time. Like, you know, I'm, I have no self-control. I have no willpower. Um, I'm just not resilient enough. And I sort of dug into this because I, just can't believe that this should be like a character trait. And I don't think it is. You can find neural circuitry in the brain and processes between the brain and the body that actually explain most of the things that you do, you know, when you exert willpower and when you are resilient and, and when you don't. Yes. And one, one other point is in my, when I look back at my story, my first reaction is always, Oh, I was so lucky. I was lucky because I met this doctor. I was lucky because I have a supportive family. I was lucky because we moved to Spain. But I think what resilience really is, is a network that you build. And what helped me get out of my story was the network that I had built over the years, it was my family. It was my you know, training in the gym even though it was at a different li- level, but it was that. It was my, my interest about you know eating good foods to keep myself um, fueled and, and, and happy. It, it was my curiosity to learn about stuff. It was my, um, my attitude to question things, to, and then to advocate for myself, as you said. So there's, I see resilience as like a network or even a net, and you have many different points that you build up yourself. So when stuff happens and say one of the one point in the net that is Brazilian sort of breaks, you don't fall through because you have all the other points that hold the net together.
0: Wow. So right many
1: in. times I, I, I speak to women and they say, five years ago, I was in the best shape of my life. I worked with a PT, I trained three times a week, I lost weight, I was strong, I felt fantastic. And then, the pt left town and it all stopped uh-huh. where are your other fallback points where is your network of keeping you on that trajectory of, of of being in shape of looking after yourself that's what resilience is that's how you bounce back from you know from from a bad event in, in your life that's where you get you know Absolutely. your support So it's not you just having this amazing character and you're so resilient and, you know, they knock you over and you get back up and stuff. It's something that you build bit by bit to make sure that when you get knocked over, there's something to catch you.
0: That is fantastic. So I have one other question for you. And I think that you would be a great point in someone's support network, by the way. And at the end of the show, we're going to ask how people can reach you because that was a really wonderful description of how to be resilient. I love that. But I want to ask you one more question, which is the stop trying to eat healthy question because we, um, you know, a lot of us obsess about food and a lot of us think about like, oh, that's like the key part of whatever, weight loss, body transformation, whatever you want to call that. What do you think about that?
1: I think that trying to eat healthy is the worst advice that you can give anyone, or the worst thing that you could try to do. If you want to get in shape, if you want to get fit, if you want to lose weight, trying to eat healthy is not going to get you anywhere. And at worst, it's going to keep you stuck. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that because I know it sounds provocative and I want it to be provocative yes. because I want, <laughs> I want women to think about what they're doing. First of all, when your goal is trying something, then you've already reached it because, you know, you go, you go to bed at night and say, did I try to eat healthy today? I did. <laughs> I, I didn't end up doing it, but, but I, tried. I tried, right? <laughs> so I tick the box. So that's first. And and I love this c- comparison, you know, when you get married and they ask you, you know, are you, you know, committing love, ready to, and sickness and in health, and I don't know what. You don't say, I'll try. <laughs> you say I do. I do. So why, you know, when you you commit to another person, you say, I do. And when it's about committing to yourself, you say, I'll try. And then the second part, of course, is, you know, it doesn't, eating healthy doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything at all because it's different for every single person. If, you know, when you're an, say you're an endurance athlete and you run ultra marathons or something, you have to stuff yourself with carbohydrates from dusk to dawn. Otherwise you're not going to make it. Yeah. So any kind, any kind of low carb or whatever you know, whatever it is, would not be healthy for this kind of person. And when you have a specific goal, like losing weight, for example, you need a specific eating protocol. Healthy will not cut it.
0: Yes. Worst thing that
1: happens, and it happen, it happens all the time. And there's, you know, there's some tough love that I need to share here because when, when you say I'm going to try to eat healthy. Right, to, to, you're fooling yourself because you're not really ready to make change. Yes, you know, instead of a bag, instead of a bag of chips, you're going to eat a bag of almonds. That's great, but your basic reflex of sort of you know comforting yourself with food or eating for boredom or whatever it is, you know, whatever the reason is why you're eating that bag of chips. And I'm not saying that there's it's the wrong reason or anything, but you know. That's the, that's where you have to start
0: Absolutely. changing.
1: If you just say, oh, I'm going to replace this with that, you know, you eat vegan lasagna. Great. It's still, it's still car. It's still, yeah. Lasagna. lasagna is awesome by the way, <laughs>
0: but, but everything, I mean, they, yeah. they, I mean there's, yeah. there's, there's so many different things. There's um uh, there's portions, right? There's why you're eating. What's the reason? What's the thought behind why you're eating that or what's the feeling really honestly a lot of times it's the feeling why are you eating that what's going on internally and emotionally it's absolutely. a really
1: and it's 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 just generally it's too vague you know it doesn't it doesn't yes mean the same for everybody yes. it keeps you from trying and implementing real change where you go a little bit deeper into why you're eating and how you're eating absolutely and it's not specific enough. You want If you want to reach a certain goal, and that can be an aesthetic goal, it could be a strength goal in the gym, or it could be a weight goal, the number on the scale. You need to be intentional and specific. You cannot have anything vague in there. It doesn't mean that you have to follow a gram-by-gram meal plan, not at all. You can use a blueprint, but that blueprint must be very specific to your particular goal. If you just go, oh, I'm gonna eat healthy, um, you're going to be, you know, stuffing yourself with peanut butter, you know, without palm oil and without sugar, but it's still going to be peanut butter or, you know, all sorts of nuts or vegan stuff, or even, I don't know, keto cookies, all the, all the things that are out there that do not address like the real, the the real focus of what, you know, you want to achieve. Absolutely. You need specificity and then you have to implement
0: you have you have to implement. So when people work with you, you give them or help them get a specific plan, I'm assuming, for their goals. Uh
1: yes, I work with a I work with a very simple blueprint. And you know, when you work with me for the first three weeks, we do not even talk about what you eat. That's great. Talk we talk about why you eat or how you eat, um and the same with the brain muscle connection, we work on reconnecting your brain with what your body really needs in terms of portion size, uh, satiety, um, reasons for eating. You know, we start, we work on mindful eating, knowing when we've had enough. And I think this, this part, if, if you were to sort of boil it down to one thing, knowing when you've had enough is the one skill, and it is a skill, that will, you know, solve all your weight loss problems. If you work on that patiently, then, you know, you will be safe anywhere. You can go on a cruise or an all you can eat or whatever it is when you know you're reconnected with your body, you know, when you've had enough, you know, you will never overeat. So that's what we do. And then we have like a blueprint of what an ideal meal looks like, what you want to have in there. And then wherever you go, you have that blueprint in your head and you, Pick your foods accordingly and, and make sure. And that's also we have a positive, constructive attitude. We pick what we think our body needs and will do it good and help it function. We don't go thinking, I cannot eat this, I must not eat that, and this is a bad mm-hmm. food and this is a forbidden. We 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 want it to be like in a mood of building um and building up and and constructing and nourishing and make sure that we get what we need to to thrive and to, to function, to perform.
0: Fantastic. And then of course you're teaching or working with people on actual, the actual exercise work, right? The actual muscle building work as well.
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: That's fantastic. Okay. So we are out of time, unfortunately, but this is such a great conversation. I've learned so much from you. Uh, I'd love to know how we can reach you so that people can connect with you, but you do work on zoom, right? So, People could work with you um, in the States or in other places, even though you're in Spain?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I work with women all over the world. Um, We connect on Zoom where you can do great things nowadays. And if you want to find out more about what I do, you can follow me on Facebook with my name, Kim Rahir. You will find my personal profile where I share what I'm up to. I share tips and tricks and stuff you can do right now to, to feel better, to get healthier and fitter. And you can look at my website which is kimrahir.com and there we have an assessment a free assessment of where you're at right now in your health and fitness um, journey because i think that's something um, we also need to know what is our status quo so we know where we're at and then we can start deciding where we want to go if we are not really quite clear um, where, you know, how are we, how are we feeling? How are we doing? Then, you know, we cannot devise a program to get somewhere where we want to be. That's fantastic.
0: And then you're also on LinkedIn too. And your Facebook page is, your Facebook page is fun because then we get to see working out in the gym and it's awesome. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Well, Kim, thank you so much. Um, do you have any last words of advice or any suggestions for our listeners before we go?
1: One thing that I love to tell women who, especially midlife women who feel that it's too late for them, or this, you know, like that too much weight they have to lose, or too many limitations they're experiencing, too much stuff they've tried in the past that has never worked. Um, One thing that I want you to consider is forgetting the big picture. Forget about where you need to go and how far that point is. Like, if you ideally, you want to lose 20 pounds and you think no, no way you can do that in any reasonable amount of time forget all that focus just on today focus on the next thing that you can do today focus on just your next meal don't worry about tomorrow's meals or next week's meals just the next meal the very next meal is the one that will you know make or break your success and you can tell yourself that every single day, every hour of the day. So you don't have to scare yourself with, you know, what's ahead. Just do the next thing right now because that's pretty manageable. I think that's the easiest thing that you can do. And you can go for a walk today, you know, you could do some stretching exercises today. Right. Don't 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 intimidate yourself with this idea of, you know, what you're going to have to do for years to come. And it doesn't it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is today and what you can do right now to feel better. Wow.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey, your wisdom and about resilience and some great information. And I really appreciate you coming. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Had a great time. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. We want to remind you to move with your power and into your magnificence. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you next time.
2: Are you suffering from OIS or Over It Syndrome? OIS commonly affects parents, spouses, executives, and employees alike. Hubbard Health Solutions can reduce symptoms of OIS, such as stress, pain, unease, lethargy, and a general desire to escape. Ariel Hubbard, licensed massage therapist, customizes a treatment plan that addresses these symptoms and will transform you and your body so you feel human again. Contact Ariel by texting 971-319-2618 or go to arielhubbard.com to learn more about Hubbard Health Solutions. That's Ariel, A-R-I-E-L, Hubbard with an A dot com.